glad to be here with you this morning. Um, it is a blessing uh, to always be with you. And uh, wherever God's people are, um, many blessings are and uh, much love is there as well. Um, I'm thank- thankful so much for uh, the youth. Um, been spending some time with them, spent some time with them Friday uh, and all night Friday night. Um, there's nothing more, uh, there's nothing that I love more really than uh, staying up all night with some uh, excited and really fully energetic teens. Uh, they're really fun. A few of them took some naps around 6 o'clock, couldn't hang out till 7. So um, we had a lot of fun. I just want to go ahead and mention that because uh, if I start preaching about Moses preparing an ark for the flood, um, you know why. I'm super tired. But uh, I'll do my best and I'll try to walk around a little bit while I'm preaching. Um, I want to talk about endurance this morning, as you can see on the slide behind me. I was about uh, 10 years old, 5th grade, and uh, I thought it was time to express my feelings to a girl that I liked. This is an embarrassing story, so I'm just going to go ahead and preface it that way. I expressed my feelings to this girl and I told her that I liked her. And uh, you know how innocent a 10-year-old kid is. I told her exactly how I felt and nothing holding back. And she said she liked me back. And so I was really excited, but then there was the but conjunction right after that. And she said, I like you, but I also like this other guy more than I like you. And I, very inquisitive me, asked why. And she told me this. She said, well, you're cute, but so-and-so is more physically fit than you are. And so you can feel that I could feel the anger boiling inside of me. I knew, I knew this individual. I was so angry and upset, but I had, I had an opportunity. The next day was the physical fitness exam at school. And so that day was the mile run. And I think we did a few like V-sit things, but that's not really impressive unless like you're really flexible. And then there was like a pull-up thing, and I could do about seven or so. So I, I was doing good, but it was the mile that I knew everybody was going to be watching. Everybody was there. And so I got out there, and we got on that track at T.R. Simmons. I think it's eight laps around as a mile. I still remember it. And... I got ready, I stretched before, I was pumping myself up with my friend, he was getting really excited, it was the last run of the day, we did about three of them, and so uh, I'm ready, and the gym teacher says go, and I take off, I leave everybody behind, first lap, second lap, I am starting to lap a few individuals, second, third, fourth, I'm still going, fifth lap, my side starts hurting. But I kept running because there was something in my mind that was saying, you've got to prove something to this girl. And so I kept running six laps. I'm going faster. Seventh lap, I learn, I look over my shoulder and learn that some of the students are running behind me telling me, go, go, you're running fast, go, beat the, beat the record, beat the time. Seventh lap, I finish. Eighth lap, my buddy comes up beside me and says, Dude, you're burning the track. Keep running. Keep running. Everybody's, everybody's cheering. Go. I finished the lap record for the year. I've never run... I, honestly, I was the worst. I mean, I, I was terrible. I ate terrible. I ate a Hershey bar like every day after school. Like, I was in no shape or diet whatsoever to run the best record time. But there was something that made me do it. There was something that really made me 
want to get out there and, I mean, just burn the track. And that was that girl. I've never probably run the mile as fast as that. I, I could, I've tried to run a mile uh, at that speed or whatever, and I think my 10-year-old self could have beat me today. But I want to ask a question this morning. I finished everything and I ran the fastest and I, I was able to, to really give an impressive time. But I really want to ask us a question this morning. David Shannon, uh, the President Fried Harman, a well-known preacher, asked this question. What fuels a finisher? I really think that that's a very relevant question for this kind of topic. He said, what fuels a finisher? You know, when, when a race car comes into the pit stop and, and he gets there and everybody's, I mean, all the different things, are the sounds of the, the screwdriver, I mean, just everything, they're going so fast and they're back out there in like 20 seconds. They know what fuel they need to put in that car. They know exactly what they need. They need to put the right fuel, the best fuel, because that car needs to move and it needs to finish the race. You know, I think sometimes uh, Christians, we become Christians and many of us uh, get excited and maybe like the rocky soil in Luke chapter 8 where we get really excited but we really don't understand what we're getting into and we really don't root ourselves and have a foundation strong enough to finish the race and finish the course that's ahead of us. We go in for a pit stop and we ask, hey, what fuel do we have? We have no idea. What's going to be the best fuel? Well, I don't know. Just, just pick that one over there on the shelf and we put that one in our engine and, and, we're, and we're moving, but it's poor fuel. It's not going to last the race. It's not going to last us very long. What knowledge do you have? This is really the deep thought. What knowledge do you have about God and His Word and His people that's going to motivate you enough to make it to heaven? It's going to motivate you through the tough times. You see, those people who quit get to a point to where they've lost somebody. Sin is too hard. They've yielded to temptation. They've lost so many things and they've been tested over and over and they say, I just can't do it anymore. Why do they quit? Well, they don't have the right kind of fuel. I think that's where we are in Hebrews. You know the book of Hebrews? If you read through it, it's a really good book. But the whole entire argument of the book is don't quit. Don't go. These people, these Christians were Jewish Christians. They came out of Judaism and they're wanting to go back. They're saying it was so much better under Judaism. Why are we being persecuted if this is the right, if this is the right religion? Why, why is it that we're going through this hardship? And the writer who is unknown tells them, listen, you've got to keep going. Just because you're being persecuted doesn't mean that it's in vain. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32. It says this, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, that's when they became Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Verse 33, Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Listen to verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. They needed endurance. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't win a race if you don't finish it. There's no way that you can win a race. You'll always lose if you're not going to finish what you started. The Christian life is the same way. The Christian life, you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. He says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've, I've kept the faith. Paul had a mindset of a finisher. 
He knew where to get his fuel. And I think this mindset is the mindset that the Hebrews needed. The letter to the Hebrews, the recipients of that letter, they needed this. And I still believe that it's relevant today. So what I want to do is I want to study chapter 12 with you. And I want to look at the context around it. And hopefully we can leave here stronger than when we came. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. We're just going to read verse 1 and then we'll apply it. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We'll stop right there. What I want to focus on in this passage is the cloud of witnesses that's talked about in verse 1. That word, therefore, you've probably heard, you've got to figure out what it's there for. It means that there's something that was said before that now it makes what's about to be said very relevant. You need to listen. And so something was said before this. So we think about Hebrews chapter 10 and what we just read. Uh, the Hebrew writer says, you are of need of endurance. And then in verse 1 it says, you need to run. and You need to run this race with endurance. So something maybe in Hebrews 11 we could find that will help us to say, you know, that's a really good point. That's going to help me to be motivated to keep going. You know, Hebrews 11 is that chapter that we call the Faith Hall of Fame. It's the chapter where we go to and we find Abraham, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Abel, uh, Joshua, Moses, Sarah, all these different, different men and women who were faithful. And we read about it. We're just going to take one for time. Remember Abraham? Remember Abraham and the life that he lived Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 22. Let's kind of just bring them all together. Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, leave your home. Leave everything. I'm going to go, I'm going to show you a place that you're going to go to and I'll make you a great nation. But you're going to have to leave everything. Can you imagine what the average person would have said back to God at that point? Where am I going? You haven't even told me where. What do I need to pack? I don't know. Listen, I've got a family here. I've got so many things. I have possessions here, and you're telling me that I've got to leave. Where are we going? I won't know anybody. The only people I know is here. Abraham left. And the Bible says he knew not where he was going, he was just going by faith. And then later in Genesis 15. God tells, God tells Abraham, listen, you're going to have a son. And you look up at the stars. Look up, look up at the celestial bodies. He said, that's, that's the way your seed is going to be. That's how many you're going to have. And how beautiful that promise was. And think about Abraham. He's thinking, man, I got promised a son by God himself. It was not his physical, his fleshly father that said, son, you're going to have a son. No, it's, it's God Almighty saying, I'm going to give you a son. You have my word. And then years pass. And then more years. And more. And still no son. Even to the point where Abraham and Sarah say, you know, you're going to have the son with Hagar, the maidservant. And Abraham has a son. and we, His name is Ishmael. But God told him, that's not what I'm promising you. It's not going to be that one. And more years pass. And more years pass. 
Even to the point to where when God said, hey, I'm going to give you this son, they were so old that Sarah laughed when God said, you're still going to have a son. And Sarah, you're going to be the mother. You're going to bear the child. And finally the son comes. Isaac. And think about how joyful that moment was. I wonder how many times Abraham talked with Isaac and was walking with him and maybe going to Jack's with him and saying, hey son, as he's eating his chicken fingers, listen, I waited for you for so many years. I was patient. And now that I have you, you mean the world to me. I wonder how many times Abraham said that. Listen, I waited for years, decades. I finally have you. Genesis 22. It came time where God was going to test Abraham. I want you to take that son, your only son that I gave you, and I want you to go up on the mountain, and there I want you to sacrifice him. And he's willing to do it. And this is in the context, this is in the passage of saying, listen, you've got to endure. You've got to keep going. You can't run this race slow. You can't stop. You've got to keep going. You've got to finish. And Abraham was willing to finish what God had told him to do. We know the story. Abraham doesn't end up killing Isaac because God stops him. But what in the world does that mean to these Hebrews to hear a story like that? And then what does it mean to us? You know, I don't think, I think it's shallow. I think it would be a shallow application to say, be like Abraham. Just, just keep going when, when things don't seem right, where you don't know where you're going, or when things are just confusing and things hurt. But just keep going. Trust in God. I think that's shallow, but I do think that that's something that we can take from it. Here's what I think is the big picture that we can take from Hebrews 12. It says, listen, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, and Abraham's one of them. This is what I think he's trying to say. You're not alone. You're not alone. You think you're the only one who suffered? In the history of time, you're the only ones? Look at Abraham. The one who you say, this is our father, our father Abraham. The man of faith. Do you think he had it easy? you think he received what he needed, what he had? you think he received it with just flying colors? No. He hurt. He was scared. And I think the most beautiful thing about, about Hebrews 12 when it talks about the cloud of witnesses is, is really this. The writers say it, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to hurt. Whatever's happened to you at this point, if you think that persecution means that you're not a part of the right religion, then think again. Then that means Abraham should have left God. He says, keep going. Why? Because you're not alone. Look around. The church that you're at, people are suffering. Think about your family. Everybody's suffering. But it's for a good cause. You know, I was, when I played baseball at Walker, I think it was my sophomore year, uh, that was a really tough year for me because 
I, I was injured twice. I had a surgery that year. And I was at practice. And I'm one of those that I really can't stand to be the one to sit down and watch everybody work. And it really hurts me to know that, that the, the team was working on the field, the team's working and getting better, and I'm having to sit here and maybe be a bat boy or, or maybe sweep the dugout. I mean, I did my part, but I wanted to do more. And after I had my surgery, the doctor told me, you can't lift weights. You can't do it. And there came a day where it was rainy, and um, we went to the dugout, and we would set up a workout place, and we would lift weights and do push-ups and things like that, just circuits and just go through them all. And that was the, the, the strategy, the project for the day is we're going to work out together. Well, I can't lift weights. And so today I couldn't stand it, so I went up to the coach and I said, Coach, I can't lift weights, but I can run. Can I at least just maybe run some foul poles? I said, I know that's ridiculous, but I'll run some foul poles. And the coach said, sure, if you can do that, that'd be great. If you want to do that, that's fine. So I went out and I started running. And uh, I counted foul poles this way. It's not one, two, three, four. I don't think that's the way you count foul poles. I think it's one, two, and three. When I got to foul pole number five, I started getting really tired. Foul pole seven. Foul pole ten. And then foul pole 12, this has been going on for about 30, 45 minutes. And usually I knew the workout should be done by now. They should be finished over there. So I was thinking, maybe, maybe it's the case that they're doing something wrong and coach is punishing them. And so I get the foul pole round 14, 15. And I'm about to pass out and fall down into a mud puddle. I mean, I, I'm, I'm about to die, it felt like. And so I ran through the, the foul line and I stopped and I just bent over and I was just really tired. And I start walking back. And there's a puddle here and I put my hands down in the puddle and just put it all over my head. It felt wonderful. And I walked back to the dugout and I noticed they had stopped. And they were all, a lot of them were laying down, a lot of them were on their backs and just really gasping for air. And I asked one of them, I said, I said, why did y'all work out for so long? He said, we weren't stopping until you stopped, Cole. And at that point, one, I felt really cool because they were really tired and I'd run a long time. But at that point, I thought, man, what a really encouraging thing to do. The coach told him, he said, until Cole stops, y'all are not going to stop working now. And I kept looking over at them thinking, I'm going to stop when they stop. Think about this. I wonder if there's someone here that's thinking about giving up being a Christian. And I hate that, but maybe I can give you something to consider. What if there's somebody who's looking at you and saying, if they don't stop, I'm not going to stop. If they keep going, I can, I can do it. But if they quit, there's no way I can make it. Because I rely on them. I wonder how many people... The Bible says in Hebrews 12, listen, we have a cloud of witnesses around us. Look at all the churches. Look at, look at all the people who've lived before us. Family members who've died in the Lord. 
let that be a driving force to you to say, I want to make it to heaven and be there with them. And then also, I want to be a good example to those people who are saying, if they keep going, I'm going to keep going. We're not alone. And so let's keep studying some more. Hebrews 12, and then we'll read through 2 and 4, all the way through. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There's a very powerful application here. But I want to really talk about what the writer is trying to tell us. Look at verse 2. And it says, the very beginning of verse 2, it talks about verse 1, the cloud of witnesses, then it goes straight into verse 2. It's looking to Jesus. You know, he's our, example, he's our example, according to Peter. He says, really, he's our example so that we should follow in his footsteps. The man who, who endured such pain. I want you all to think about something that I believe the Hebrews writer is saying. He says he's, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Basically, if we look at 1 Corinthians 15, we, we read that if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, our, our faith and our hope, everything is in vain. We have no hope for heaven. There's nothing that's going to get us there unless Jesus is resurrected. And then we read about the pain and the suffering that he endured from sinners. I think the author here is making a very powerful, very powerful comment. It'd be one thing if Jesus was beheaded. I think that's a very weird thought. But I try to come up with these thoughts and think about the way that Jesus died and why it's so powerful and meaningful and why it should move me. It'd be one thing if Jesus was beheaded. It would have been quick, wouldn't it? Would he have felt it? I, I, I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Or, or what if he died in another way that was, I mean, just snap of the fingers really fast. That's not the way that he died, though. Did he? The Jews crucified him. And not only that, they beat him before that. And not only that, they kept him up all night. He stayed there for six hours on the cross. He didn't stay there for a few minutes. He stayed there for the whole duration of time. And the Hebrews writer is trying to say, look at Jesus. Look at how long He was on the cross. Look at how shameful and how people despised Him and railed at Him. And said, hail King of the Jews. And they didn't even believe it. And now they said, if you're the Son of God, come down. They didn't believe it. And he said, he endured that and he did it for you. And he said, this is the example that you're supposed to have. That you're supposed to look to. Why? Because Jesus not only died and suffered, but he suffered for a very long time. This is the way your life is going to be if you live as a Christian. 
our lives, the average lifespan is close to 80, 70 to 80 years. It's in that range. That's a long time. Some people say it's short when you compare it to eternity. Yeah, it's short, but that's a pretty long time. The Bible says you have to endure through that time because it's not going to be short-lived, the pain that you're going to have. Look at Jesus and the death that He died. He didn't die a short-lived... I mean, He didn't go through a short-lived pain. It lasted for a long time. One of the most beautiful things is this. God doesn't ask us to endure pain and then sit back and watch us run and claw to the finish line by ourselves. No. God Himself finished the race first. And we watched Him bleed to the finish line. Therefore, we're not running this race alone. All the people who lived before have run the race and also Jesus has run the race. So we can do it too. And we can make it. The last thing I want to talk about is this. Back in, back in verse 1 and 2, uh, it says this in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's saying, if, you're, if we're going to run this race, if we're going to get there and we're going to make it to heaven, take the load off of your shoulders and you sprint to the finish line. Imagine this, Usain Bolt, he's pretty fast. Um, imagine if we gave him two three-pound weights and we gave it to him, we said, all right, hold this, you're about to run the 100-meter dash. That's what he runs. And I got out there and I stretched and I did some, uh, some different workouts to warm up and everything. And I ran me a few laps. And I got out there and he's holding the three-pound weights and I'm set up to take off running. Am I going to beat him? No. Why? Well, he's, he's got the three-pound weight. That's going to that's gonna slow him down pretty good, isn't it? No, he's going to beat me by 20 meters and I'm going to end up basically looking at his back as he's going through the finish line. Now imagine this. Imagine I limber up and I'm, I'm ready to run and we give a marathon runner some three-pound weights. And we say, you carry this all the miles that we're going to run in this race. You think I have a better chance of beating that guy? Absolutely. Why? Because it's not about how fast you run the race. It's about how long you can keep that pace. And it's really just a matter of finishing the race. That marathon runner may not even finish the race. He's so tired. But I may be able to finish it. Lay aside every weight. There are about three basic kinds of people that struggle with this. And I'm going to list these real quick. There are some of us who are trying to run this race with rocks in our hands. They're not very heavy, but later in life, they will soon become tedious. Others are running with a backpack full of rocks. They're tired now, but they have no strength to continue in the near future. They will soon have to stop. And then there are some who are simply tied up and can't even begin the race because for some reason they just can't allow themselves to cut themselves loose. 
What are these weights that may hold us back? Anger, guilt, doubt, an unforgiving heart. All these things can make us have setbacks in our race and allow us to not only move slower, but may cause us to stop at the end because we're so tired and we can't keep going. But I think the last application that we need to make in this passage is this. We need to drop the weights and run. The three things that that I just listed, the rocks in the hands, the rocks in the backpack, and the people who are tied up, they all have one thing in common, and it's this. You can choose not to be in that situation. And you can run faster. And for a longer period of time. It doesn't matter how fast you are or how tough you are. If you run with a weight on your shoulders, you could end up hurting yourself and becoming disqualified. I want to end on something uh, that's kind of hidden in this passage that we may look over because we we see it a lot. But look in verse 2, and let's read it one last time. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you notice the last phrase in it? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was on the cross. People railed at him. People spat at him. Mocked him. He was there. He was hurting. He was bleeding. And he cried. But look at him now. Look where he is. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. The same thing that could be said about us. I don't know if there's someone here who's struggling. I don't have I don't have that capacity, that capability to read minds. But but what I do know is we all struggle, and some more than others. So this is my invitation to you. If you want to begin the race. We would love for you to sign up right now. And you don't really sign anything. What you do is you express faith in God. That's repenting of your sins, turning away from sins, dropping those weights, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and being baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. And then you can run with us. But then there are some who've been running, and you're probably tired. And I hate that for you, and I want to serve you in that way if I can. You can drop the weights too that you're carrying. And you can make it right, right now. Please do so as we stand and sing.